Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Rick Henderson and welcome to the latest edition of the Pocket Limp podcast. In this episode, I chat with HB Studios franchise manager Sean West about the developer's recent release PGA Tour 2K23 and the future of golf games. I'll also be joined by PocketLint deputy editor Britta O'Boyle, who has been testing the 10th generation iPad of late, so will give us her thoughts and opinion. But first, fellow PocketLinter Cam Bunton has been following the launch of the Motorola Razr 2022 and checking out the foldable phones market in general. He joins me now to discuss all. So Cam, Motorola's new Razr, tell us all about it. So this is the new Razr for 2022 and it comes about two years after the previous one. But anyone who's as old as us will remember the original from what 20 years ago now it's it's that iconic clamshell design but with a modern take so similar to samsung's galaxy flip it's got a big screen inside that folds in half um now this isn't uh motorola's first attempt at doing a foldable phone in the last couple of years but the last one didn't really set the world alight um why why do you think that was and what does this one do that kind of changes that So I think what Motorola got wrong last time, there were a couple of things that really stood out. And it, I mean, obviously the first one was the price. And this was still quite in early days of foldable phones where they came at quite a bit of a premium. So the Razer 5G, which was launched in 2020, launched at the price that was near enough £1,500, which is obviously a lot of money to spend on a phone. But also in terms of technical specifications, it was essentially a mid-range device. So it had the innards and the performance of a phone that if it wasn't foldable would cost you probably less than 500, um, but it costs three times that much because it's foldable. Um, so yeah, they were. I think essentially last time they were relying a little bit too much on that nostalgia from the original Razer because it looked very much like that Razer. It just didn't have the practicalities. It didn't have the performance. And then Samsung came out with the Galaxy Flip 3 a few months later made it much cheaper than Motorola's and made it a much better phone. So that competition from Samsung, I think, just blew it away. Do you think this clamshell design is um, is almost the sort of like the perfect venue, uh, the perfect sort of like uh, style for a foldable device? Um, because I've, I've heard an awful lot about the Flip 4, for example, which is also recently come out, and people seem to love it. Yeah, it is a very nice form factor. And I think it's it's one of those things where for a few years now, before foldable phones came out, I guess, phone screens were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, approaching seven inches in size, which of course means you've got to find that space to fit it somewhere. So when you're carrying it around in your pocket or you're holding it in your hand, it's it's a big device to to hold. So, But people obviously want these big screens. And so what these flip phones allow you to do is still have that big screen but folded up into a more practical size. 
so that when you're carrying it around, it doesn't feel like you've got this big lump in your pocket. So from that side of things, I think this form factor is the most practical of the ones that we've seen so far, and it does make a lot of sense. But and also they can possibly make it cheaper, can't they? Because the, um, the 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 larger ones that fold out essentially into a tablet form, uh, they they can be still quite pricey. They are, yeah, they can be. I think that's that's a number of factors play into that. And obviously, the screen on the inside is bigger, so that costs more money. They all they obviously all also have a secondary screen on the outside. Sometimes, like Samsung's Galaxy Z Fold Four has an additional screen on the outside of the phone. So. It's a, it's a more complicated and more expensive device to build, for sure. Um, right. Well, the Razer 2022, which you've actually seen, you've played with, and you've uh, you've reviewed for PocketLint.com, um, is uh, fairly, well, I wouldn't say inexpensive, but no. <laughs> still a thousand pounds, isn't it? It is, yeah. But it, uh, crucially, I think it, it just about undercuts the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 4. And it does have advantages over the Samsung. And I think Samsung has some advantages over the Razer. So I think it's it's entered at a good price and it's entered with a good feature set. We've also seen, though, that Motorola has, is rumoured to also be bringing two new foldable devices to the market next year um so does this sort of like bring it back does the razor 2022 bring it back into the um dare i say it fold yeah yeah well possibly i think it's the most compelling foldable phone we've seen from motorola so far because it has that really big screen it's got proper flagship internals it'll do everything you need it to do so i think this is them saying we're in this for the long haul I, I presume that's what they're saying because obviously at the Lenovo Tech World recently, they also unveiled that rollable phone concept as well. So they're clearly saying we've, we've got plans with foldable screens. And even in Lenovo's laptop division, we've seen them do foldable laptops. So it's clear that they're interested in this area and they want to do something with it. So I, I can't imagine this is going to be the last razor for sure. Also, do you think, um, where is the foldable market right now? And do you think, um, we've been talking about it for years, but it nev- has never really kicked on as much as possibly it has done in the last 12 months. So do you see it as a, a, as a, a, a sector of the phone market that could actually really expand quite rapidly now? I think it could. I, d- I still don't think it's mainstream. I think your bog standard sort of candy bar shape for smartphones is still the one that most people are going to go for. And as much as I hate to say it, it, I think it will take someone like Apple to release a foldable phone in order for it to become truly mainstream and something that people are interested in more than their, the, the phones that they're used to. Um, do, you, but do you think Apple might? I'm not sure yet. I think, I think they're obviously looking at the idea. I think we've got that hint, but I, I genuinely have no idea. <laughs> if they will or not it's it's one of those risky things isn't it if they if they do it they're going to do it and do it properly uh, but if they see that it's got any weaknesses still which they still do they're not as durable as a proper traditional sort of smartphone um until they sort of solve those inherent weaknesses in just having a foldable display i can't imagine they'll release anything in a hurry i think my last question would be um would you own a foldable phone in preference to to a uh, a candy bar at the moment probably not no i think but i that doesn't mean i don't enjoy using them and uh, having them as my device but instead of no maybe alongside yes 
Later, Britta will be here to review the new entry-level iPad, the 10th generation model, which comes with some major design changes. But first, PGA Tour 2K23, released for PlayStation 5, PS4, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One and PC this month, and it hugely expands on the golf game concept. It allows you to start at golf school and make your way onto the PGA Tour itself, all the while improving your created player and giving you access to many of the world's best courses. I recently spoke with the franchise manager of developer HB Studios, Sean West, to find out more about the title and golf gaming in general. I started by asking him whether the wealth of new customization options were the major upgrade on the last PGA Tour game. Uh, yeah, I mean, player uh, customization and, and your ability to self-express and also progress your my player were all big uh big things that we were focusing on with this iteration of the game um we we really took a ground up rework approach to our uh, my player character as well we wanted to improve the visual quality of of what that character looked like uh the animations that were able to play alongside of it uh and then along with that as well came all of the apparel and equipment customization uh on top of it so we really put a lot into your ability to, you know, tr try and create yourself if that's what you want to do with your my player or some other fictional character, uh, and then give you the tools to create the look, uh, the equipment, and also build progression around your character from, you know, starting out at the the kind of amateur level and getting all the way up to the top of the the leaderboard on uh, the PGA Tour with things like fittings and skills that you can unlock throughout your gameplay. Yeah, I, I noticed with the my player stuff is that there seems to be from the from the very beginning more options for different types of clubs, different uh, apparel types, um, and of course you've got women golfers in there again this time. So um, yeah. so there's a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. We we have uh, female my players, which is fantastic. It's great to see a, a diverse range of people playing this game. We want to you know grow the sport as much as possible. Uh, on top of the my player, we have pro uh, playable pros in this version of the game. Uh, we introduced pros last time. This time you can actually pick up and play them. Uh, but on top of the PGA Tour licenses and you know Tiger Woods that we brought into the product, we've also added three incredible LPGA athletes with uh, Lexi Thompson, Brooke Henderson, and Lydia Ko. Uh, what was it like to work with uh, Tiger Woods? Uh, it, it's amazing. It's incredibly motivating. You know what he's done with his career, what he's done for golf. Uh, you know he's the reason I know anything about golf. You know he started. <laughs> yeah you know, hitting the, the golf scene right as I think I was like 10 or 11 at the time. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of come full circle of him being the reason I got introduced to the sport and now working on a game with him on the cover of it. So it's been a really fun experience and the, the knowledge that he's able to provide to help, you know, push this product forward as well has just been incredible to tap into. Um, PGA Tour 2K23 is available across current-gen and last-gen machines. Was there anything included in the PS5 and Xbox Series X S versions this time that just wasn't possible on the PS4 and Xbox One? Uh, there were some, uh, some minor visual differences between the two. Uh, I think there's some visual fidelity that you'll see on the clothing, like rotation and things like that, and the swing that you can pick up. 
Um, it's, it's a little subtle, but to the keen eye, I think you can pick things up like that. Um, and then beyond that, we also just have generally a higher frame rate on those platforms. Uh, so it can feel a bit smoother when you're experiencing them. But you wanted it to essentially stay the same game across all platforms. Yeah, and we we want people to be able to play, pick up and play all of them and kind of feel like the experience is very similar. We also announced on our uh, live stream at launch day that we're working towards cross-play uh, for a future post-launch release, which will allow people from all platforms to play online together. So it's important to balance those experiences between the platforms to make sure when they're playing with each other, uh, there are no problems encountered. Yeah. Uh, what's the one feature of PS5 and Xbox Series XS that you'd like to exploit more going forward? Um, is there something like DualSense or something something that you would you could only do on those platforms? Uh, I think the, the big thing that we want to continue to improve with the future iterations of this product is, you know, diving into the visual experience and, and really continuing to try and immerse you in that experience. I think our team's done an incredible job with the environments and making them feel realistic, but we know that there's still more that we can be doing. Uh, the power that come with those new generation of consoles definitely help uh, kind of raise the bar and where we can get to with that. Um. I think it's safe to say your golf games have plenty of options that are aimed at quite experienced golfers, um, not just gamers, um, although those are obviously catered for as well. Was that a goal of yours from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, we are a PGA Tour golf simulation. We want to simulate that experience of golf. If you you know, want to play like you do in real life, jack up the difficulty, turn off all of the assists and, you know, I, I can go out there and shoot plus 15 like I would on a normal course uh, in real life. But then we've we've got such a range of settings for the difficulty of the swing. And, you know, we can account for wind and elevation and things like that for you. So you don't have to think about that if you're not familiar with that or just don't want to kind of do that math in your head. Um, so the, the, the range of what we can can do to kind of help you get to from tee to green and shoot a reasonable score is uh, you, there's a plethora of, of things there for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, the experience is still golf and, you know, the way the ball's flying through the air, bouncing, how you read the greens is uh, really trying to simulate that experience one-to-one. -one. You introduce a new um, control method in mm -hmm. the latest game, the three click system. Um, but, in my experience, the analog stick system was was brilliant anyway. I mean, it's always worked. Um, why did you think you needed an extra control system when you already had something that was really effective? Uh, I think there are uh, a handful of reasons, or at least a few. Um, one thing is we, we've seen a community look for something like this. I, I think, you know, golf has tended to uh, gravitate gravitate towards an older generation of players uh, we're trying to change that of course with this uh, series but you know with that older generation you grew up we grew up with <laughs> sorry I didn't mean to single you out there we we all grew up <laughs> with you know the the original golf game started with that three click mechanic it was a button press to set your power the direction and and that would be what sent the ball through the air um, so that's kind of what we lean towards the inspiration for getting this in there. 
uh, I think the accessibility that it brings to the product as well. You know, if you, you don't have the dexterity to use the thumbstick, this is a great alternative way for you to be able to experience the game. Um, so, and I, I think that it's nice to just have an option to change things up too. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it was, a, we've thought about it for a very long time and we thought now was the right point to, to get it in there. Does it also sort of like help you main get that fine balance between a game and a simulation? Because you can go only so far into the simulation field without without sort of spoiling the gamification of the game. Yeah, I th- I think so. I, I think it definitely helps with that. I think even the swing stick, though, you know, it it's it's the closest you can get to replicating a golf swing, but at the end of the day, it's still very different. Um, so there's only so much you can do to, uh, simulate that experience on, you know, the outside, but in the game, we can really drive that simulation home. The last game was also available on Stadia. And unfortunately with something that's uh, falling by the wayside. Um, but, do you still feel that there is a, um, a future for cloud gaming and your game specifically uh, going forward? Uh, I think we're open to it. Um, there's there's nothing specific to really talk about in that that area right now. Um, you know, I've I've been keeping an eye on that space to see how it's uh, expanding. I think there are other. Uh, big names getting into the space. So it'll be interesting to see how it's optimized over the next few years and whether it can get, uh, you know, into people's homes and be uh, one of the main sources of, of people playing video games outside of consoles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, no current plans for us to move forward with it, but definitely keeping a close eye on it. Um, HP Studios in the past has actually also, people might not realize this based on the last few golf games but you've also done an awful lot of other sports games in the past um is that something you'd consider carrying on in the future or are you really concentrating now on golf yeah i think right now our our main focus is golf uh we've got our entire studio working on it it's um what we're focused on and we're continuing to expand that team and grow it as well um i I think we also love to talk about other sports. Like you said, our past is sports. We've worked on rugby. We've worked on cricket, uh, football, hockey, uh, you name it. And I think we've, we've done it. So there's a lot of passion for sports in our uh, studio. Uh, I know a lot of people would love to work on uh, other things in the future. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's there. We're thinking about it, but uh, golf is the primary focus right now. The sports game market seems to be quite iterative in terms of its updates. Um, and we see certain franchises just updated year on year with minor updates. Did it help having a two-year gap? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when you have a dev cycle that's you know 18 months or so, that gives you a lot of freedom to uh, really push features and um, take some risks on certain changes that you wouldn't be able to take in a single iteration uh, or a one-year cycle. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope we continue down this path. I think we've seen that it's successful for golf. You know, in other sports, there's more significant changes season to season. I don't think you see that as much in the golf space. Um, So I think that leans to our favor as well. Um, 
so yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to continue like this and and leverage those 18 plus uh, months of uh, development time and really make sure that each each game that we're releasing brings a lot to the table for users. Well, that also technically help you eke more out of the uh, the current gen consoles that we because they'll be what four years within their their lifespan at that point. Absolutely. Um, finally. If tech was no obstacle, what one feature that you don't currently have in the PGA or PGA Tour games that you would love to see in a golf game? Uh, you know, you know, we there was kind of a passion project that HB Studios did a few years ago, and that was when HTC Vive came out for the first time. VR, uh, we we put the golf game that we were working on at the time in the VR space. I think golf and VR are the perfect marriage of experiences. Um, I think it did well at the time. VR didn't take off as much as everyone expected mm-hmm. it to, but I think in the future, if you know there are no limitations, like you said, to the tech and what we have available, I would love to see us have an opportunity to put golf in VR again, uh, especially for myself. Uh, I get to play golf six months out of the year. If I could do it in my living room in a VR headset, that would be pretty incredible. Now to Britta, who's here to review the 10th generation iPad. So, this is quite a big change for Apple in its entry-level iPad. Tell us all about it, Britt. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge change actually this year, uh, which is good to see because um, the old design has maybe been a long time coming for a refresh, I think. Uh, so now the new standard iPad I suppose we could call it um, has the same design as the iPad Air and actually side by side it's almost impossible to tell the difference between the two if you were looking at it quickly. So you get uniformed bezels around the screen rather than the touch ID home button at the bottom and the touch ID has moved then to the power button which is the same as the Air the same as the iPad mini as well. It's a little bit different from the pros in that they obviously have uniformed bezels too, but they have Face ID at the top rather than having the Touch ID in the home button. You also get a slightly larger single lens camera on the back. It's a little bit more obvious than the previous model, but I don't think that's a bad thing. And the smart, But the smart connector stays the same. It's on the left-hand side of the device. The other major change is USB-C, which is obviously great news for us. Um, just means... It's just everything's just a little bit more streamlined, a bit faster. And obviously, you, you only need one cable unless you've got an iPhone, in which case, <laughs> <laughs> not yet, guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah, USB-C, that's a big deal for uh, for Apple at the moment because it's been in the news recently. Obviously, Apple um, are going to have to comply with the EU regulations, put USB-C on everything. Um, <laughs> so this is a good start. Um, having had an entry-level iPad before, um, this does seem like it's um, very much a step-up device What with that new screen. Does that kind of make the iPad Air redundant? So this is a tricky one, actually, and I, I found this in my when I was trying to review it, deciding whether it makes the iPad Air redundant. But the, the, Air, the Air screen is actually better, but you would only really notice this if you, were, if you had them physically side-by-side, like I obviously did. Um, so the... The standard iPad doesn't get a fully ref, um, fully laminated display and it doesn't get the anti-reflective coating, which kind of means that the it looks, it's quite hard to explain, but it looks like the, the panel itself is 
further down there's more glass essentially or it looks like there's more glass so actually the um it's not quite as punchy as the ipad air's display and um things don't look quite as sharp even though it's actually got the same resolution but you get the same size you get the same resolution like i just said and and the screen is still excellent it's just it's not as good as the airs um obviously the ipad air also has the m1 chip which is quite a bit faster I would say in terms of what you actually well in terms of daily use but more if you want to do anything slightly more substantial like video editing things like that although you would probably select the iPad Pro now um, the iPad Air does obviously have that extra power boost than the stand model would but for day-to-day stuff yeah I mean I would probably recommend the general iPad rather than the Air at the moment purely for cost if nothing else. Of course, another big difference between the two is Apple Pencil compatibility. It is only compatible with the first generation pencil, not the second generation pencil, which um, causes a mild issue in the fact that the first generation pencil charges through lightning and yet the iPad has a USB connector. <laughs> yes. As we see. It's- so, it's, yeah. It's definitely is that, something that is, I'm surprised at, to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like a bit of an oversight, um, which Apple typically don't do. So it was a shock that it, it was like that. I, I don't really know why they wouldn't have just designed the Apple Pencil with USB-C. That, um, I, think, I believe it's Logitech that have done a similar thing and they've redesigned it with USB-C. So um, it is a little bit of an oversight. It's not massively an issue because there is an adapter that you can use. It just means that if you've already got the Apple Pencil, you have to buy the adapter. If you're buying the Apple Pencil now, I believe the adapter comes with it. So it doesn't really affect people that are buying everything new now. It more affects those that have already got right. first gen Apple Pencil. They would then need to go and buy the adapter. I don't think it's a huge amount of money. I believe it's under £10 or around about £10, $10. But obviously is an extra cost that you have to factor in if you're considering that i was also i I was quite interested in the fact that it for the first time the entry for an entry level ipad it was very much there are a lot of accessories like keyboards and it seemed to me that they were very much pushing this towards a student market is do you think that's the ideal point or do you think it's more family centric I think it could be both, to be honest. A student, I think definitely the the entry-level iPad or the iPad has been aimed at students for quite some time now, more so than the other models have, mainly for the cost. If, um, but also it, it gives you most of the functionality that you would probably need as a student, I would say. Um, the I do think it's quite good for families too, though, and, and people, when they've asked me what to buy now, if they're buying for their children or they're buying for teenagers, I would recommend this model mainly because it gives you that refreshed design. It gives you a decent enough chip. It gives you USB-C. You still get plenty of features. You get iPad OS 16. It's not compatible with Stage Manager, but to be honest, I wouldn't imagine most families would maybe use that anyway. That's more for someone that's working on the move that might need that. And then this isn't the model I'd recommend for that anyway. Um, But overall, yeah, I think students, families, this is the model that they're aiming that at. Um, And then the iPad Air for those that want a slight step up, I suppose, whereas the iPad Pro models are more tailored to those that really want to work on the move or video edit on the move, if that's what you are up for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think my last question would be is, uh, do you like it? 
Yeah, I actually loved it. I thought it was great. The yellow is a <laughs> is a interesting color for sure. <laughs> it's not sure if it wants to be yellow or gold. I don't think, but it's definitely interesting. If I had to pick a color, I think I'd probably pick the pink or the blue, just because they they're quite punchy, but they also know exactly what they want to be. Um, but yeah, no, I do like it. I think it's great. Um, it's a little bit more expensive than what I was hoping that it would come in at, especially in the UK, because we've obviously seen the hikes more so felt the hikes more so than the US have but otherwise yeah I do think it's a great it's a great tablet excellent tablet for the money and at least you it's a bit of a middle device where you get a design upgrade but you don't have to splash over 600 pound on the air and that's it for another pocket in podcast we'll be back soon so please join us then in the meantime please also rate us on the podcast platform of your choice and or let us know what you think of the podcast on twitter at pocketlint and instagram at pocketlint.com and don't forget to keep up with the latest tech news reviews and roundups on pocket-lint.com i've been rick henderson until next time tatty bye <laughs>